Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We're looking at the law of God and how it enhances and beautifies the Christian life. A final look up next on this edition of Abounding Grace. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Welcome to our program. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, has been spending some time here in Luke chapter 6, the first five verses, understanding the dynamic that the law of God has in our lives as Christians under grace today. It's an exciting study straight ahead, so please join us. Again, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. With today's broadcast of Abounding Grace now, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Jesus says, My disciples are not breaking the commandment that forbids harvesting on the Sabbath. They are providing for their own essential needs. They have wearied themselves and have gone hungry in in my service. And what they are doing in no way can be considered harvesting and breaking the Sabbath commandment as they nourish their life to live for me. So whenever your interpretation and application of the law of God restricts and squelches life, and makes it impossible for you to carry out your responsibilities to other people, and causes you to totally disregard your life and welfare and health, as well as that of other people, then your interpretation of the law of God is in error. And your application of that law is pharisaical, not biblical. Because the application of the word of God, which always requires wisdom as well as faithfulness, must always take into consideration the purpose of God's law, which is to enhance and protect life. Now let's review the three main points that Jesus made to the Pharisees here. All he did was make an allusion to an Old Testament incident and then make a great claim concerning himself. Again, he is saying very loudly and clearly three things. First of all, The Bible is the final authority over all human traditions, human opinions, human interpretations, and human worldviews. He is quoting the Bible, and he is saying, all you need, all you need is the Word of God. It is the only inerrant, all-embracing source of truth. It is the only standard of faith and practice. It is the only inerrant interpretation of itself. Any standard for interpreting life and the source for truth and ethics that you put in place of or alongside of the law of God revealed in the scriptures will be misleading and it will be an encouragement to you to do immoral things that are displeasing to God. You must, you must take all of the word of God seriously. 
You must allow the word of God to interpret itself and you must not put the interpretation of any man alongside of or as equal authority to the word of God. The Bible is the absolute final, infallible, all-embracing authority. The second point. The purpose of the law of the God in the Bible is to guard and to enhance our lives in this world. One of the things I did in my sermon last week was to go through the Old and New Testaments to remind us why God gave us the laws in the first place. And there are a lot of laws in the Bible, beloved. 600 and some to be exact. Why are they there? Are they there to restrict your life? Are they there to cramp your lifestyle, to squelch happiness and joy, creativity and innovation in your life? No, its purpose is to guard, protect, promote, enhance, and beautify life as you obey it, motivated by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now make no mistake about it, as I said last week, the law cannot give life. When the law of God is broken, all it can do is condemn. The law of God cannot forgive you for breaking it. Only faith in Jesus Christ can. In the gospel, we see that Jesus gives what the law demands. The gospel gives life. It gives righteousness. The gospel gives transformation of character. The gospel gives you power to do what is right and the desire to do what is right. The law of God can't give you those things, beloved. But once you have received those things by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then God places his law in your hands and says, here is the path in which I want you to walk. Here's the kind of life I want you to live that is pleasing to me. And so I can shower my blessings upon you. I give you my law, not, not as a ladder that you can climb to get to me, not as a way for you to earn points with me and, and hope to be saved. That's why I gave you the gospel. The law of God was given to us by him to guide our life for our good, to enhance our life, that as, as we obey it from the heart out of love and all of our relationships and behaviors, it beautifies our life. It makes you an attractive person. A person people want to be around. A person who lives his life to please God. And as you obey his law word, you are protected. You, you actually have a structure. You, ha you have a guardian. There are certain things you will be able to avoid. The certain temptations that you will not have to face. Certain pitfalls and snares you won't fall into in this life. The law of God was given to enhance, protect, guard, promote, and beautify the life we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I as Christians will understand that biblical law is a wonderful gift from God. And obedience to it is something which the Christian should take great pleasure in. You see, this is one of the points the Pharisees failed to understand as they criticized Jesus and his disciples. They fail to understand that the purpose of God's law is to enhance and beautify a person's life. So if your interpretation of any law of God squelches life in Christ, your interpretation of God's law, beloved, is an error. Now the third great point God made. 
The first great point is that the biblical law is that, that the Bible is the final authority over all human traditions and opinions. The second point is that the purpose of the law of God is to guard and enhance life. And the third great point found in verse 5 is that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That is one of the most astounding and one of the most important claims Jesus ever made about himself. First of all, we must remind ourselves what we have learned about the meaning and the significance of that title, the Son of Man. That is the title Jesus actually gave to himself and applied to himself on several occasions. In fact, out of all the titles that Jesus gave to himself and that others gave to him, that is the one that seemed to be his favorite. That is what he called himself more than anything else. The title does not mean that as the Son of Man, he was simply a human. The Son of Man is a term rich in meaning and was taken right out of the Old Testament. It was taken from Daniel 7. So if you would turn there, so that you can see the richness of this phrase as it's applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel 7, I'll be reading verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and beheld one like the Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that that which shall not be destroyed. Here is where Jesus got the name for himself, the Son of Man. Now notice the emphasis here in Daniel 7. The Son of Man is brought up to the throne of God. He shares in God's glory, God's dignity, and God's sovereignty, and is given a kingdom and the power to rule over every man, woman, and child that will ever live on the face of the earth throughout all history. So whether you are a Christian or not, Jesus Christ is the king of your life. And as a human being, you have the responsibility to live in terms of his will rather than living out your own will according to your own preferences. The Son of Man shares divine glory, dignity, and sovereignty with the living God. And he has a kingdom that is given over all other kingdoms which shall never be destroyed and that will triumph over all opposition. So whenever Jesus called himself the Son of Man, he was saying three things. He was saying, I am man, and I am God. I am the Son of Man, and I am a human being. I was born through the virgin's womb. I am a human in the fullest sense of the term, physically, spiritually, emotionally. I am a human being. But I am also God, incarnate. I am not only everything it is to be human, I am everything it is to be God. And when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he wants you to remember that picture from Daniel 7, where the Son of Man is presented as royalty in the very presence of God, and says that he shares God's glory and God's kingdom and God's sovereignty. So, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is saying, I am truly human and truly God. And if you are going to have any dealings with the only God there is, you must deal with him through me. There's another point he wants us to remember by the use of this name. 
and that is his sovereignty and his suffering. I call myself, he says, the Son of Man, so that you will be forced to remember Daniel 7. And remember that I have sovereignty over all things. Now keep in mind, this entire section of Luke was given to establish the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that as the Son of Man, he has been given a kingdom that has no boundaries. My sovereignty over all of life and my government over all of life is boundless. But in my sovereign plan for the ages, I must also suffer. Many times when you read the Son of Man in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is suffering. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. I who am the sovereign, says Jesus in effect, have planned out things in such a way that in my intense suffering and death, I will accomplish the eternal destination of everyone for whom God sent me to earth to save. So when he calls himself the Son of Man, he not only wants you to remember his humanity and his divinity, but he also wants you to remember his sovereignty and his suffering. And lastly... He wants you to remember his humiliation and his exaltation. It was humiliating for the Son of God to become incarnate. It was humiliating for the Son of God to come under his own law. It was humiliating for the Son of God incarnate to come into this world and be rejected by his creation. It was humiliating for the Son of Man to suffer and die on a cross and be buried in a tomb. And he underwent all that humiliation to pay the full consequence of our sin. Sin humiliates. And he was humiliated in our place. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead and exalted him to his own right hand. And now as the Lord of lords and King of kings, he rules over everything and administers all of the rich promises of God. So that is the significance of the phrase, the Son of Man. Now, what about that phrase, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath? What a claim. I can fully understand why a Pharisee with a rock-hard heart would want to crucify someone who would say something like that about himself. So what is the significance of that phrase? It was a further blatant claim to deity, to be God. Now think for a minute, who instituted the Sabbath in the first place? Why in the Old Testament did the people rest on the seventh day? Because God rested on the seventh day, the creator of the universe. He set that day as the Sabbath for all of his creatures to rest. And not only that, but centuries later, the Sabbath observance was commanded in the Ten Commandments. Now, who gave us the Ten Commandments? Was it Moses? Of course not. Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel, is the one who gave the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. So here we have the creator of the universe instituting the Sabbath on the seventh day of creation. And we have Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel, who was the creator of the universe, republishing that command on stone in the Ten Commandments. And then we have Jesus coming along claiming, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. 
In other words, someone who is the Lord of a divinely instituted thing is the Lord Himself, the Almighty God. To say, I am the Lord of a divinely established institution is to claim to be the creator of the universe. I am the one who says, who instituted the Sabbath on the seventh day. I am your creator in human flesh. I am Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel in human flesh, who wrote the Ten Commandments in stone. The Lord of the Sabbath, God himself in human flesh. But it also says something else. For Jesus to call himself the Lord of the Sabbath is not only claim to be God, it is a claim to how wide and broad his sovereignty is. He is the sovereign of everything, even the Sabbath. Now in our text, Luke 6 verse 5, there is a word that Luke does not record, but Mark does in his second chapter. In Mark 2.28... He records Jesus as saying, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also, or even, as it says in the New American Standard, of the Sabbath. Luke doesn't quote either of the words also or even, but Mark does. And he does so to tell us about the loftiness and the broadness of Jesus' sovereignty. The Lord Jesus Christ's sovereignty is holy and lofty and boundless and sacred. So much so that it even extends over the Holy Sabbath himself. His sovereignty is boundless. There is nothing in all of life that is not under his sovereignty. Not even the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, what does the Lord of the Sabbath do? It is his responsibility to protect and interpret the Sabbath and to administer its blessings and its curses. God raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and made him Lord of the Sabbath that he might protect the Sabbath from all encroachments, that he might define and interpret how the Sabbath is to to be observed. And that is what he was doing in Luke 6, and in Mark 2, and in Matthew 12. He is saying, now the Pharisees, they're telling you one thing, but I am going to tell you the facts. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and only I have the authority and prerogative to say how the Sabbath is to be obeyed and interpreted. I am to protect it. I am to define it as it is to be observed. I am to interpret it, and I am to administer its curses and blessings. If you keep the Sabbath the way I tell you, says Jesus, then I will bestow blessings upon your life. But if you fail to keep the Sabbath holy, the way I tell you to keep it holy, then I will administer the curses of God upon your life. Now remember what the purpose of the law of God is, of which the Sabbath is one of those laws. The purpose of the law of God is to protect, guard, enhance, and beautify life. Therefore, the command to keep the Sabbath holy has as its purpose, as you obey the command and set aside the Sabbath as a holy day, and you spend that day in worship and rest, instead of filling it with whatever you desire, is to enhance your God-given life. It will protect your life. It'll guard your life. It'll beautify your life. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath to do everything in his unlimited power to make sure that the Sabbath is to be everything God wants it to be in your life as you keep it and observe it the way he prescribed. Beloved, if you keep the Sabbath day a holy day, a day of worship, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, will see that it will always protect, guard, enhance, and beautify your life. My beloved brothers and sisters, I, I want to make one last point that I believe is extremely important. And I know your posterior is probably getting tired and you're growing hungry. But I believe this is the bottom line of what Jesus is trying to tell us here. The Lord of the Sabbath always means that since the desecration of the Sabbath is a capital crime, Jesus executes the death penalty on all cultures that violate the Sabbath. You think I've gone too far? Well, turn with me to Exodus 31. And I'll begin reading in verse 12. I'm going to read first verses 12 through 16, and then I'll read verse 17. Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may not, you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you, every one that defileth. It shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Six days may work be done, but in the Sabbath it is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Perpetual means this is never going to come to an end. Verse 17 It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. And who are the children of Israel? We, the church, are the new Israel in Christ. And you are to keep it forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. My friends... As Jesus confronts the Pharisees here with their man-made traditions and truncated interpretations of God's law, he is telling us that the Christian's observance of God's word is the means, now listen, is the means by which we shall overcome evil in this world and solidify his victory on the cross and the resurrection. Adherence to the Sabbath is essential to our battle right here right now we are doing battle against the forces of darkness as we proclaim the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ over all of life covenant worship is essential to the church and its victory over the world as I have said so many times this is the most important day of the Christian's week and we cannot take it for granted or be nonchalant about it in worship we proclaim the Lordship of Christ we receive training for the battle and encouragement to fight on it is a covenant renewal ceremony and a time in which we're refreshed 
Satan and his minions hate the Sabbath. And they will do anything they can to discourage us to keep it holy. Beloved, I beseech you, keep this day holy. Take this day and this time seriously. And when you do, God says that he will protect, guard, enhance, and beautify your life. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 